Thank you for listening. This is Danny Lipkin, Managing Director of the Global Innovation Sector at Toronto Stock Exchange and TSX Venture Exchange. Welcome to TMX Presents, the podcast. This is where we have conversations with capital market leaders from around the world. On today's episode, I will speak with Tony Van Marken, co-founder and managing partner of First Ascent Ventures, based in Toronto, about the state of the tech industry in Canada. Over the last five years, we have seen some extreme highs and lows, and Tony will share his perspective and viewpoints on where we stand today. A little quick background on Tony. Tony is an experienced international executive who has worked in the private and public markets as a high-tech entrepreneur, management consultant, and investor, having worked in South Africa, the UK, Canada, and France. Recognized as a leader in his field, Tony was honored in 1998 as one of Canada's top 40 under 40 and was awarded the 1996 CBCA Entrepreneur of the Year Award. Tony is also an avid adventurer and endurance athlete. He has led or participated in over 30 high-altitude mountaineering expeditions on seven continents and has over 60 high-altitude summits on numerous classic peaks around the world. Tony has established a reputation as an entertaining and inspiring motivational speaker. He uses unique video footage and photographs from his ascent of Everest, the seven summits, and over 30 expeditions to provide audiences with a powerful and inspiring audiovisual experience. I would list off all of Tony's climbs right now, but I don't think we would necessarily have 20 minutes to actually speak if I named them off. So, Tony... Thank you for joining us on today's podcast. Really appreciate you giving the time to give some of your perspective to the audience and talking about what's going on in the state of the tech industry in Canada right now. So, you know, I gave a little bit of a background, but maybe if you'd mind just sharing a bit more about the trajectory of your career, you know, what you did before First Ascent Ventures and and how you ended up starting your own VC firm. Danny, thanks very much for the introduction and the kind words and really Excited to be on this podcast with you and look forward to the discussion. So just to maybe build on the introduction, I have a degree in computer science as well as a business degree. And early in my career, you know, worked as a software developer, spent six years at Accenture in South Africa and the United Kingdom, working primarily in the telecommunications space, building very large distributed computer systems you know, back in the in the 80s and 90s. After that, based in London, I was recruited by a Canadian venture firm called Helix Investments to become CEO of a very early stage company called Arcatel Systems Corporation. It was just around a million dollars in revenue. I joined the company in 1994 and knew the company quite well because when I was at Accenture, I'd subcontracted them onto a couple of projects that I was managing in the European market. And so I got to know the VC. And for those listeners who don't know, Helix Investments was one of the oldest and earliest venture firms in the Canadian landscape and funded incredible tech companies like OpenText, GIAC, Hummingbird, Corel, Mitel, Architel, Synthesis. I could give you a long list, but an incredibly successful pioneer in, in early stage investing. Sort of fast forward, you know, joined the company, started building it up, and we were selling what was called operational support system software to the world's telcos. And we took advantage of the Telecom Reform Act of 1996 in the US that created the CLEC market or competitive local exchange carrier market. 
and we really started to grow fast. So we took it public on the TSX in 1996. We did a cross-border listing on NASDAQ in 98, and the company was acquired by Nortel in 2000 in the sort of heyday of Nortel's acquisition spree. And maybe in a bit we can sort of talk about what it was like to do an IPO in those days, which was an interesting experience. After that, I actually moved to back to Europe, to France for three years. I took a bit of a sabbatical after we sold the company and I went climbing full-time for about two and a half years based out of France and climbed the seven summits of the world, which was the highest peak on each continent, a couple of the 8,000 meter peaks, including Everest and the sixth highest peak, Chooyu. And then I returned to South Africa and I became chairman and CEO of a company called Vox Telecom, which was the largest independent carrier in the company and built that up over five years to a pretty significant company in that market listed on the Johannesburg Stock Exchange. And we eventually sold that to private equity. And after that, I decided to return to Canada and actually teamed up with my current business partner, Richard Black, who had worked at Helix Investments back in the early days, and he was on my board, and we decided to raise First Ascent Ventures. And um, that that was back in 2014, 2015. A lot has happened in the venture market since then, and a lot of new funds are being created. My partner, Richard, had been in the venture business for 30 years in a variety of funds. So he was a real veteran of the industry. It was new to me, but the idea of supporting entrepreneurs, having been one myself, was something that, you know, really resonated with me and, and, and I've loved work. You know, I love what I do. I love supporting entrepreneurs and helping them grow companies. So that's how I ended up at First Ascent Ventures. And as you probably figured out, Danny, the name is kind of related to the mountaineering story in that a first ascent is what we call an ascent of a mountain via a previously unclimbed route. And by its very nature, you know, there's some risk, things go well. Sometimes they go according to plan, sometimes they don't. Not unlike the challenges of taking early stage businesses and growing them, there's always a crevasse you can fall in or or some bad weather along the way. And you just need to be prepared to deal with that. So that's where we are. So that's a great background and very interesting, the sabbatical and ending up as a mountaineer. You know, you mentioned how you kind of use those lessons learned on the mountain to apply it to the business world. The question I'd have for you is how do you continue to use those lessons? So you mentioned like figuring out the crevasses. What are some other challenges that, you know, maybe in today's landscape? So tech world was great for a number of years. We're going through a bit of a difficult period right now. What are some other challenges that you faced climbing all those mountains that you're using and applying to the business world today, especially as you speak to a lot of entrepreneurs who are facing headwinds, to be honest, for the first time in quite a while? Yeah, no, that's a great question, Danny. So, I mean, you know, there's some typical, I guess, lessons learned that I found from the world of mountaineering and endurance sports, to be honest. You know, I spent a lot of time doing competitive mountain biking and cycling and I was an ultra marathon runner. So, you know, preparation and all of these sort of physical activities is a necessity, paying attention to detail, being willing to endure some pain, suffering, setbacks and adversity as you pursue those mountaineering goals. By its very definition, you're dealing with risk management, 
And, you know, you're always trying to plan ahead and foresee some, you know, forks in the road, et cetera, and, and ready to pivot and change strategies. So a lot of those concepts apply back in the business world. And obviously being resilient and persevering and keeping going no matter what the circumstances. So those are some of the typical lessons. And another one has been, you know, this old cliche about the team does count, you know, when you're on a mountaineering expedition or you're roped up to teammates, you know, it literally means life and death. And I always say, decide who's going to be on your rope because the team really does count and you you need to know who you're going to war with. And I think as we enter this market right now, there's a huge amount of uncertainty. We're in a different interest rate cycle. We've seen a massive fall off in the valuations of publicly traded technology companies, et cetera. You know, the advice we are giving companies is along the following lines. Uh, First of all, make sure you're well capitalized. Look very carefully at your runway and your operating expenses. A lot of young founders have lived through this, you know, the last decade where funding has been relatively easy to obtain. But as we move forward, people are focused on burn rate more, looking at a path to profitability, very sensitive to the debt load on companies. You know, you've got to service the interest that keeps going, getting more expensive, et cetera. So if, you, if you're raising cash, I would focus less on valuation and make sure you get good investors in your company and on your cap table make sure you're super well capitalized. That's the priority. You know, value creation, Danny, happens over a long period of time. And some founders, and I've been on both sides of this, you know, focus on short-term dilution. And I always say that's that's not the important criteria. What's really important is look at your balance sheet, look at your funding situation, make sure the partners you have are the right ones, make sure they have reserves to support you over the long-term. You know, typically takes you know, six, seven, eight years to get an exit out of one of these investments or longer. So this is an endurance event and you need to approach it like you're running a marathon and you need to wear the hat of your investor as well as yourself as the CEO and everyone needs to win over time. So you need to strike a balance with the way you raise capital and approach investors. So, you know, we just saw Danny, this carnage with the SVB situation, you know, in the market. And that creates another level of uncertainty for tech companies who may have a relationship with a bank like SVB, you know, and typically would say, just make sure you're diversified, you know, that you spread your deposits around and you're not dependent on just one financial entity. And that's typically just good, sensible business advice. So this is a business where things happen all the time. And you can't always predict the macro events that impact your company, but you've got to be very, I'd say, flexible, resilient, and responsive to what's going on in the market at all times. And so, you know, one thing I wanted to get into a little bit was you mentioned earlier, you completed a tech IPO mid-90s on TSX. You know, that was a time when there was few and far between tech IPOs. You know, we fast forward to the last number of years and we, we had quite a number of tech IPOs on TSX, a number of your own portfolio companies who had done that. What what did you see maybe in terms of a, a number of different things? A, types of investors that came into the IPO in the mid-90s versus today, and maybe just the attitude, I guess, in the, in the public market sphere towards 
tech companies in Canada and hopefully we'll say it's it's a bit better maybe than it was 20 years ago, maybe not today, but just interested in your reflection of the investor type and, and the attitude of entrepreneurs who have gone through that both yourself and you know a lot of the founder entrepreneurs that you worked with over the last number of years. Yeah, Danny, it's a it's a very interesting topic because obviously, you know, we we went through two IPOs and in 2021, Dialogue, a virtual healthcare company, and and Q4, that's in the investor relations software business, and both went public on TSX with very successful IPOs. So I served on the board of both companies and went through that process. And contrasting that with my own IPO 96 is quite interesting. Back in the day, you got on the road, you went out of New York, bankers picked you up in a limo, you went from meeting to meeting, you did eight pitches a day and you, you know, day after day. And then you went to San Francisco and you went to Chicago and Toronto, Ottawa, Montreal. We went to Europe. You know, it was a three-week roadshow. It was it was grueling. Just the travel schedule alone, what that took to get an IPO roadshow completed. Fast forward to today, post-pandemic, we're all sitting on Zoom doing a roadshow. And it was just such a contrast for me personally to think how easy that is to do a roadshow with international investors without having to drive anywhere. So, you know, that is one of the biggest changes. Testing the waters, which happens today, that never happened back in the day. You know, you sent out the prospectus, you arrived in someone's meeting room at Fidelity, there's a portfolio manager and an analyst, and they've been through your prospectus in detail, and they grill you for an hour, and you leave the room, and you go to the next meeting. You know, so quite, quite different. But from an investor perspective, I think very similar. You know, if I think back to my IPO, Fidelity and Altamira were the leading institutional investors, and we also did a 144A private placement in the US. So we had a cross-border investment group. I think you get very the same and similar investors today, and they look at exactly the same issues. The other big contrast for me personally was, you know, now you're looking at business models, you know, like SaaS recurring revenue business models. But back in the mid-90s, most of us were following a perpetual license model with maintenance revenue. So, you know, I was running a company where we were selling our software for anywhere between $1 and $10 million per license. We were profitable every quarter. The one-time license fees actually gave you a huge capital injection. We raised $40 million back in 1996 at the time. Doesn't sound like a lot, but in today's dollars, it's a lot. But we never used the money because we, we were so profitable and we charged such large license fees. In today's world with the SaaS model, you, you know, you've effectively amortized that perpetual license fee over a decade, potentially. So you have less revenue coming in the short term, but the big advantage is it's predictable and it's recurring. And if you keep your churn down and your retention high, you should have a very predictable, understandable business model. So that, that is actually is an advantage. Um, and then, you know, my other experience in South Africa, obviously a very different market running a listed company on the Johannesburg Stock Exchange. There you only report every six months, not every quarter. So that's quite typical in the European market as well. So there's differences in different markets where you work. Uh, but I, I'd say the biggest 
advantage today is the ability to run an IPO over Zoom in a very streamlined fashion. Yeah, I guess um, you told every single one of your entrepreneurs that you work with that you're supposed to go on a plane for three weeks and that's the only way you're going to raise money. So you're very lucky you don't have to do that anymore. They probably felt very good about that. You know, Tony, we, we talk about it's been tough in the market the last 18 months or so for tech you know, as you mentioned earlier, a reflection kind of of macroeconomic conditions, not necessarily tech specific. You know, we've seen industries, all types of industries suffering challenges. You mentioned a little bit about how you're talking to entrepreneurs right now, you know, to be mindful of your, your burns, your, you know, your funding levels. How else are you kind of helping them prepare and navigate for what some say might be a little bit longer of a challenging period. Bank of Canada and, and, and the U.S. Federal Reserve, we might see some more rate hikes. Or, you know, there's a bit of uncertainty of still where that's going to go. So how do you continue to tell companies stay positive? You know, you mentioned earlier, I really liked the actual analogy of staying on the rope and who's on the rope with you. Like, what are some other positive spins that you try and cheer up entrepreneurs? Because I think, you know, a lot of people have been in a rough patch. This is something we haven't seen in 10 years. We're all used to funding's always available. Customers will keep coming on. But now we're even seeing, to your earlier point, you know, churn rates are starting to go up a bit. We're starting to see people be more mindful of their tech spend internally at some organizations. How, how do you continue to keep that positive momentum going, though, for companies? Because there are, you know, my own opinion, Great companies still being built every day. Great companies out there. It's just more difficult to run a business than it was two to three years ago. So how do you how do you keep that positive energy there for your entrepreneurs who are facing these tough patches? Yeah, Danny, you know this is this is a great great discussion to have. So I, I kind of always talk to CEOs about there's things you can control and things you can't. And so on the side of things that you have a lack of control over, you know, macroeconomic conditions, what's happening to interest rates, et cetera. You know, uh, the, if you're public, you know, how your stock is trading, you know, how portfolio managers are allocating capital. You know what? You don't have any influence over those factors. So let's just, I understand you want to see your scorecard every day, but it's not that important right now. What is important is what you control. So on the revenue line, Sales is critical. Revenue is the oxygen of any business. And one of the items we've been working on closely with companies is their pricing model. And typically, I don't find software companies are charging too much for their software. They're typically charging too little. And so we've recommended looking at price increases. And this is a very interesting topic, but a lot of founders are initially highly reluctant to go and push that. But I'll give you a couple of examples. You know, you get an email from Netflix, oh, your subscription's gone up. What do you do? You kind of delete the email and accept it, right? When I was running a telco, you know, we experimented with this a few times. And so we had a huge consumer base of people using our product. And we decided let's let's do a much larger increase than inflation or than the CPI. And every time we did it, we found that the dollar increase exceeded the dollars churned. And 
this is our recommendation to founders. You know, instead of doing typically an annual 3% or 4% increase historically, what about 12% or 15%? Because, Danny, the other big impact in 21 was there was massive salary inflation in the tech sector. And a lot of companies significantly increased their operating expenses to keep talent. Now, you can't unwind that, right? So you live with that new cost base. So looking at the pricing, we think is a critical factor in the revenue line. And the ripple effect through your income statement is like amazing. It makes a huge difference. Then on the OPEX line, you know, you absolutely control your labor costs. And then you've got a whole lot of discretionary costs in a business, you know, in the marketing department, etc. And I find every time when you really put a budget under some scrutiny and you tell founders, like, you need to find a saving of two, three million dollars, whatever the number, you can find it if you look hard enough. But you have to make that a priority. And what makes it a priority is the fact that, hey, raising my next round is going to be really difficult. And I need to get the metrics right. So I need to look at all of these key factors. And related to that, we kind of say, fast forward to your next round. Okay, let's say you did an A, you're going to do a B, or you've done a series B and then a C. What are the key metrics people will be looking at? And work backwards from there and figure out what you need to do with the business. Because there are a whole lot of levers that the entrepreneur does control. So to kind of summarize, Danny, I think there's controllable costs on the OPEX side and there's levers on the revenue side that you can use and you should do that very proactively. And I think that makes a huge difference. You know, I agree. It's a little counterintuitive to what most people think now is to increase the revenue. I think the Netflix example is is great now. And I think to your earlier point, People aren't even deleting the email. They're actually now paying more because everybody's paying the extra $8 to share their accounts that they weren't previously doing. So it will be interesting to see what their revenue numbers come out six to 18 months post this decision that you know a lot of people say speculate cancel. And I think people are saying, nah, they're just going to ignore it most of the time and continue to pay. You know, I want to just uh, kind of leave off with one or two more questions and unpack a bit of talking about the OPEX and you know, reducing your expenditures and your burns a little bit. And you can always kind of find some places to to reduce expenditures. I think this goes a little bit to my next question in terms of, you know, there's still companies, though, that need to do more capital raising. In spite of e- even if you reduce the burn, you'll still need more capital for positive elements of, you know, we want to continue to expand the business at the same time. How are you finding it these days for fundraising for, I guess, I'll ask you this from two lenses, both from your already invested companies, maybe, and maybe for ones you're looking to invest in that maybe aren't contained within your portfolio. And what do you see as the most successful ones these days in their ability to raise it? I think we've heard anecdotally, it's, you know, it is a bit harder, obviously, to raise money versus 18 months ago. But how are you seeing that in terms of your own ability to deploy capital into new companies and your own companies to be able to go out and raise more money? Danny, great question. So on the fundraising side, we've made six new investments in our second fund in the last 18 months, which for us historically is is quite a lot. Typically, we were making around two to three per year. So why is that? 
One of the main reasons is that we found some great companies and we managed to find an entry point that made sense as an investor for us and an entrepreneur who kind of understood the situation in the marketplace. Because at the end of the day, it's a partnership between the investor and the entrepreneur. And for us to make money in this business, the entry point is absolutely critical. You know, we have had the benefit in our portfolio of some large US growth funds coming in, particularly in our fund one, and paying really extremely high multiples on series C and series D transactions. And it's it's great and you raise a lot of money. But we wouldn't do those deals as as a as an entry point for us on an A or a B round. So so we are probably we, we're not someone who pays at the top of the market. I think we're very reasonable and we look at the long-term process to build value together. So we've been active. I should mention there's been some structure in these deals. You're seeing liquidation preferences come back into transactions. Uh, the multiples have come down significantly. We all know what's happened in the public markets. If you look at the, the BVP index, you see massive multiple contraction. So, you know, again, I say to founders, you know, if you're locked into what the market looked like 24 months ago, you will be disappointed moving forward. Even if you're a really good company with good metrics, most VCs are being very sensible about the types of investments they're making. And so we think this is a great time to invest. I know some VCs are sort of less willing to invest in this type of market, but to be honest, this is when you build a great portfolio. So, you know, we're super active. We're excited about the entrepreneurs we're backing. You know, we're always looking for new ones. And Danny, the good companies that we already have and sort of the fund that have to now go out and raise the next round, you know, we're coaching them just on what are the metrics required to attract an investor to need to lead your next round. You you may hear these days that people say, you know, an, a flat round is the new up round. And, and <laughs> you know, we've seen quite a lot of that happening in the marketplace, especially if someone's raised money at, you know, 20 times ARR 18 months ago and they come to market now and they haven't really grown, they're going to be disappointed with the multiple they will get. So it's very challenging for the entrepreneur, for sure. But like I said earlier in the podcast, my advice to CEOs, and I've lived this myself, you know, you need to raise capital, you need to strengthen your balance sheet. So don't let dilution be your primary metric for making a decision. Your main metric should be cash coming in with the right investors who are with you for the long term and will support you as you build a great company. And, you know, I, I don't think that'll ever change. No, it's great perspective. And I think it's a good reality check to have for entrepreneurs to understand it's not the same market it was 24 months ago. Change your expectations, but know that there is still, to your point, you're active. There are VCs that are very active and there are great entrepreneurs out there who people want to back ultimately. You know, I'm just going to leave with one more question here, Tony. You know, maybe, and I will not hold you to any of these predictions. We won't look back in five years and see if you were right, but just you know, I'd love to hear what you think the market will look like, you know, the next couple of years for the tech industry in Canada. And maybe just from a personal perspective, you know, as an adventure challenger, what you have planned next. Well, that's a tough one, Danny. Predictions are a really hard thing in terms of the tech market. But but I think personally that 
this market and this level of scrutiny on companies and the the challenge of of raising capital in these types of markets is is a natural part of the business cycle. And we back early stage companies. You know, we're, we're not a seed investor. We do kind of Series A and B. So typically, we've got we've de-risked the company somewhat. They have customers. They have revenue when we invest, but from a macro perspective, you know, the venture business by definition has an element of risk. Not all companies should make it, right? And the good ones typically rise to the top, perform well, continue to grow and succeed and become really successful tech companies. And that's what we want to see. And the weaker ones will fail. And, you know, that's okay. That's that's kind of normal. In, in, in Silicon Valley, they embrace that concept, right? Um, Canada's probably slightly less so, you know, but I view that as a natural part of the business cycle. So I think I think we have a fantastic group of tech companies in this country. I think there's a lot of talent. As we build successful companies, the Shopify's, the Lightspeed's, Nuve's, you know, all these big companies, they spin off people to start new businesses and new entrepreneurs. That's been happening for decades. Canada has an incredible history, if you think about it, in enterprise software. There's a huge DNA in that area of creating these types of companies. So we'll continue to see that. I certainly think, you know, AI is getting a lot of hype right now with what's happening with Microsoft and ChatGPT, etc. I mean, again, we may be going into another hype cycle. A lot of capital may chase that. It doesn't change the fact that you need to look at the business model. It needs to be revenue generating. It needs to be resilient. Unit economics do matter, and I think they will matter even more in the next couple of years as these companies try to grow capital-efficient companies with good unit economics, business models that make sense, will emerge as the next unicorns, you know, and we will see those those companies in the Canadian marketplace and elsewhere. So I'm super bullish on this business. I think there's an incredible amount of talent out there. It's uh, it, it's still it's a fun time to be a VC or, or an entrepreneur. You know, it's a privilege to be in this business and, and to build companies. So you, you need to embrace the challenge. It's not all, always a straight line. You know, I always say to entrepreneurs, it's the line goes up and down. And sometimes you have to go back down to base camp, reset, and go to the summit when, when the weather's a little bit better. But just persevere and be resilient and stay focused and, you know, stick to your business principles and you'll come out the other side. So on the second prediction, Danny, you said, personally on the expedition side. So what I'll say to that is I've, I'm just recovering from back surgery. So my main expedition has been a rehab process from, from that, which I found to be quite the journey and very, very challenging. But it's made me appreciate having good health and, and the ability to explore the world and do interesting things and climb a mountain, however high it might be. I'm looking forward to the next time I can do that, but I've got about another three or four months of rehab to do on my back. And then hopefully the next time you and I get together for a coffee, I can give you an update. And in the meantime, I'll bring you on the uh, hikes that my five and seven-year-olds take, and hopefully you can get to that as a progression towards uh, getting back to normal. That's perfect. They're, they're great hikers. <laughs> they are great ones. Um, 
So, so Tony, thank you very much. Really appreciate your time perspective. And, and also just as a thank, you know, from the entire tech ecosystem of your continued support of this, you know, the, the, the ecosystem needs to continue to see the positive elements and the lights. There's going to be challenges and there even were challenges, you know, for the last decade, but maybe we're a little bit more under the radar screen and we'll face more challenges over the next five years. But, you know, People need to learn how to persevere and win, as you as you mentioned, and there'll be bad times. I, I really enjoyed the analogy of going down to base camp when the weather's right, you go back up. And so as people say, okay, maybe we shouldn't burn as much cash now because it's harder to fundraise. Let's hold off. And then when the time is right, we can go accelerate the growth when maybe, you know, we can get more capital. So Tony, thanks again for your time today. And thank you to all the listeners of TMX Presents the Podcast and for joining us and listening to this great experience and state of the Canadian tech industry. For more insights from our capital market leaders, please visit tmx.com slash POV. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks, Danny. Great to spend time with you. Thanks, Tony. Now, for more information on the Montreal Exchange, please visit m-x.ca. And for more insights from capital markets, leaders, and my TMX colleagues, please visit tmx.com forward slash POV.